Hello and welcome to the why behind the what. My name is Nathan Elbert and as always I am so glad you are listening to this podcast especially because we know there are 42 million thousand podcasts out there. So seriously thank you for spending some time with this one. I do appreciate it. In this episode of the why behind the what we are going to the academy as I interview Dr. Steve Dawson. He is the Associate Professor of Philosophy and Religion at the University of Lynchburg. And Steve shares his interest and long journey with meditation and shares how his practice of yoga often leads him into meditation. One of my favorite parts of this interview is his insistence on practicing ancient spirituality more than simply reading about it or writing about it or thinking about it or even talking about it. We actually have to do these practices if we want the benefits from these practices. A little bio for you of Dr. Dawson. He received his undergraduate degree in creative writing from George Mason University and both his master's as well as his doctorate degree in religious studies from Boston University. Steve has led a handful of study abroad trips uh, through uh, this campus to India, Vietnam, Greece, Cambodia. He leads Sangha uh, on our campus, which is a meditation group, and he does reference that in this episode in case you are a little confused by that. And recently, he started a Hindu group on our campus, and more recently, he now teaches a yoga and meditation course that students can take. Steve and I also lead the Spiritual Wellness and Mindfulness Residential Learning Community. It's a mouthful, but we lead that together on campus, and that seeks to introduce students to ancient contemplative spiritual practices, all while living together in the same residence hall. And we focus on meditation, centering prayer, yoga, breath prayer, all as a way to alleviate stress and anxiety and have a more easeful and calm life. Steve was on my search committee while I was being hired, and he completely intimidated me. He's got this long beard and long hair, and he's not very outspoken. He just kind of sits and listens and watch. But it's so ironic, because once you get to know Steve, you learn he is one of the most free-spirited and loving people ever. Uh, More than anyone I know, Steve exudes a sense of calm and peace and ease that I honestly think any one of us would long to have. One quick note about this episode, Steve mentions the name Walker, uh, and so when we recorded this episode, our Spiritual Life Center had on campus had hosted a, a lecture series with Walker Bristol, the humanist chaplain at Tufts University in Boston. The lecture was entitled Humanism and Atheism Today, so he does reference that in this talk. Also at times, you may hear uh, some music in the background, and that's because Steve always has meditative and contemplative music playing in his office, so it kind of set the mood for us. And finally, uh, before we get to the interview, if you could do me a huge favor, uh, if you could please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a brief review of this podcast. I need your help. I need your help to mess with Apple's algorithm. Help me, people. Be my friend. Uh, The more reviews that a podcast gets, the more the podcast will be promoted and recommended when people are searching for other podcasts. So that is a great help, and I would appreciate this. And if you like the podcast, share it in your social media channels, if you will. I'm not buying promoted ads and tweets um, or Instagram posts to 
you know, promote this podcast. I'm doing it all organically, so I do need your help to spread the word. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter, NathanElbert.com. Right when you go onto that website, uh, there'll be a link where you could sign up. I got some freebies coming out that you can get if you sign up for that. There you can also read my, my blog uh, and find ways to connect with me on social media. And then in the show notes of this episode, there are a handful of links of resources that Steve recommends as well. So with that, here is my interview with Dr. Steve Dawson. Well, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, thanks, Nathan. Yeah. Glad to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. I am a professor of philosophy and religious studies at University of Lynchburg, um, I received my PhD from Boston University, and I've had a long-standing interest in, um, for lack of a better expression, um, um, altered states of consciousness, experiences, um, but especially those that come from um, contemplative practices like meditation. Um, it actually goes back to a class that I had when I was an undergraduate, um, and it was it was actually an English literature class. But the the name of the the title of the class was "Altered States of Consciousness in English and American Literature." Wow! And, and I was um, I heard about this class and was told to take it because. Uh, essentially, it was, you know, we read a lot of really cool things. And then I was an English major, so it was also a course that counted, you know, for my major. Right. Uh, and we read a lot of uh, just sort of garden variety English major literature, American and, and, and English. But it was, um, we focused on these kinds of experiences, these, um, these sort of transcendent or experiences of, of oneness or of tapping into something that was somehow beyond ourselves. Yeah. And this was all new to me, and it was really exciting at the time. And, um, and the other thing that I did in this class that was uh, really new was um, the the professor taught us uh, sort of this rudimentary meditation, and uh, and we would do this for about five minutes at the beginning of every class, and it was the first time in my life that I had meditated. Hmm. And before it, I think I I knew what it was, but it just it was kind of something you know like far out that like people in California did or things like that <laughs> you know I'd, I'd, I never knew anyone who who did things like that but lo and behold there I was doing this in the with everyone else in the class wow and uh, and so that was so that was that one class was far and above the most influential class I had as an undergraduate wow and it propelled you to to go on and do master and get a PhD, one class basically, huh? Well, indirectly, um, my my focus was on um, uh, creative writing when I was an undergrad, and I wanted to I wanted to to like go get an MFA, and and you know I had sort of uh, in hindsight very 
wildly unrealistic ideas about what what life is like. Oh, we a, all do, right? <laughs> <laughs> At that age. Yeah. Well, I, I seem to be especially so. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but what happened was um, after I graduated, I, sp- I spent some time. Um, one of the things I learned from my creative writing classes is writing is a practice and it's something that um, if you want to do it well, mm-hmm. you have to do it, um, if not, every single day and most every day. Yeah. And, uh, and I did that. Uh, and one of the things that I discovered when I was, when I was writing and, uh, and at that time I was, um, I was writing, uh, I was writing fiction. Um, now when I look back on it, I think I was more writing as a, um, almost like a form of, self-discovery or inquiry or whatnot. I, I didn't realize that at the time. Um, but I was writing about about experiences and sort of these kind of like mind-opening experiences. And, uh, and after a while, I, you know, I realized that there was a lot of, you know, like religious ideas and mystical ideas and uh, I had never taken a, a religion class as an undergraduate and uh, and what I knew about religion was mostly just like my my upbringing I was raised United Methodist okay. and, and so I had a, a sort of a well actually I had a fairly limited understanding of my own tradition it was essentially just restricted to my own experience of mm. growing up in a mainline Protestant church in the in the seventies, um, and uh, and so I started um, I started reading, and uh, and one of the one of the first books I read it's almost like a cliche in a way but it was um, Houston Smith's book about um, the the I think um, when he published the book back in the fifties it was the religions of man. Um, mm. And then um, I I read the revised version, which he had he had tried to take out the at least the sexist language in the title, and it was now the world religions. Mm. So um, um, and it was you know it was just a chapter for Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and uh, you know some of the some of those traditions were just. Um, like I remember uh, reading uh, about Hinduism, and uh, it was just hard to keep all of that in my mind because yeah. it was just there's so much. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I really, um, I mean, I've always been a, always been a, a reader and um, curious about things. Um, I didn't I didn't think of myself as a uh, like a seeker at the time. But in hindsight, it was you know it was like I was wearing a like a trucker hat with seeker. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm, I'm sure a, a number of my professors they just like oh yeah here's the kid that's the seeker because yeah. you know I, there's no other word to describe how I was as an undergraduate, and then afterwards, so um, and so I just I got I became more and more interested. I wanted to learn more, and I was really curious about this. And then it, and then on one side it sort of went off into, 
into philosophy, and I had taken some philosophy classes as an as an undergraduate, and uh, I had, I had liked them, but um, at the same time, you know, I was focused at that time on creative writing and, and whatnot, and uh, and so I, I sort of reached this impasse where um, um, I knew that school was in the future in some form or another, but it, w- it was either going to be going and getting an MFA and then, um, you know, trying to make a go of it um, as, a, as a writer, or um, I was more and more curious about maybe going into, you know, like a, some kind of religion program. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just started doing um, some some research on what that entailed because, you know, since I didn't even take one, I wasn't exactly sure, like, what you did if you studied religion. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, you know, and here I was getting ready to, you know, I was going to apply to graduate school for this, and I wasn't even exactly sure what I was applying for. Yeah. But um, but I, I, I just looked, and it was... It, it was just, you know, everything that I found, it was like, yeah, I want to learn about this. You know, it was like, dun, 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 dun. And it was like my whole life was pretty much, you know, filled up and yeah. like three months of looking at oh things because I wanted to learn everything. So, uh, and then I started, you know, I started applying. Um, I was living in Northern Virginia and my wife and I had just gotten married and, um, and I think she knew that school was in her future at some point as well, but she wasn't as gung-ho to, to go back to school yet as I was. And, uh, and it just worked out that I, uh, um, I applied to the, to the School of Theology at Boston University. And, uh, and essentially it's like it's a two track program like a master of divinity well you you, you did all this yeah. is for the readers that's right. listeners yeah, that's right <laughs> uh, but it's like master of divinity and master of theological studies and i was on the master of theological studies side um and so i applied and and we ended up we moved to boston and i started uh graduate school and um one of the things i like best about getting my master's degree in a school of theology was I really liked um, getting the perspective of people who were on the MDiv side Hmm. and who were looking at this much more practically. Um, You know, they were like, they loved being in the academy and studying and learning, but they knew that they were going to go outside of the academy Hmm. and then they were going to do a lot of things that you know, only indirectly related to the kind of like bookish things that we were doing. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just really interesting, um, like hearing about, you know, like how they were going to like take what they were learning and go out and, and put it to use. And, and, and it was big part of it was, it was just foreign to my experience. Cause I, I, that wasn't the, that wasn't the path that, um, that I was going to take. And it's, I don't know, it wasn't, at that time at least, it wasn't something that, um, I mean, I, I was just, um, I just wanted to like essentially bury myself in the library and read all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was also the place where I learned that um, 
Yeah, because I didn't really, I wasn't, I didn't really know what was involved in, in being a pastor other than I just remember growing up and, um, and we had a, our pastor, you know, he led the worship service every Sunday and I knew from things that my, uh, like my mom and my grandparents said that, you know, he went to the, you know, he went to the hospital sometimes and probably did some other things, but, uh, you know, I had a very, um, a very unrealistic idea about what he did because mm-hmm. to me it's I was, sometimes I thought well it's, it seems like he's he kind of is doing what I would want to do you know he has a few things to do but then he can just sit in his office and read and, and you know <laughs> and then talking to people who are actually in the field I realized that that was almost the complete opposite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all it's a very stressful um hmm position to have, or, or at least some of the people that I talk to. Um, and I think because a lot of times people put a lot of, um, they place a lot of expectations on their, on their pastor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in some respects, these are expectations that no, no human can actually mm-hmm. live up to. And, uh, and then, and then there's disappointment. And, and then a lot of times the pastor's family are held to somewhat unrealistic or unfair standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a um, um, one of the pastors at the church where I grew up. Um, um, his, his wife, um, she, um, people didn't like her because she wasn't stylish enough. Oh, and, wow. And I'm sure, and I'm, I'm actually positive that they wouldn't have liked her if she were too stylish. Sure. You know, so there was yeah. like some like weird middle area that she yeah. had to, to um, that she had to to match up to. Yeah. And, uh, Those words are re- really kind of my story. Uh huh. <clears throat> Being in a pastorate of for a handful of years and just kind of burn, getting to the point of burnout mm-hmm. and just tired and exhaustion and you know the things you love, you mm-hmm. don't love anymore. And one of the things I want to go back to that relates is you mentioned your introduction to meditation mm-hmm. in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine was in the season of burnout uh-huh. where I said, I've got to do something. And I downloaded a meditation app. And uh-huh. the first meditation I did, I just just wept the entire time. Uh-huh. And it was a very, I guess you could use the phrase it was kind of an out of body experience where uh-huh. I was aware of what was happening mm-hmm. but I couldn't get to why it was happening. Uh-huh. I just knew that as I was meditating, leading this, you know, this British voice in my in my uh-huh. headphones telling me how to meditate, uh-huh. I just was crying the whole mm-hmm. time. And it was like that for an entire week. The whole uh-huh. I did 10 or 20 minute meditation that whole week and every day mm-hmm. was that way. Um but that really started me on a kind of a journey of meditation, centering prayer, both mm-hmm. of those is just really essential practices for mm-hmm. just my well-being. So I'd love yeah. to hear how meditation, if you've been doing it that long since mm-hmm. undergrad, how has that yeah. impacted you? What have you loved about it? Mm. But then also, yeah, how have you seen it be an essential practice for people? Well, I've had a, it's been a sort of an off and on practice since I was an undergraduate. Um, and I remember, because I'm, I guess, it, it, and it's a nice balance to my sort of more bookish side that thinks that the way to 
learn about anything is through books and text mm -hmm. and through essentially through reading and writing. Um, and it's uh, and generally it's it's been a um, off and on practice because it butts heads. You know, the time that I would meditate with it, it's time that I would have otherwise have been reading or, or sure. studying or yeah. something. Doing something that seems productive. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I remember this this um, English professor, uh, Dr. Carlson. I remember talking to him in his office one day and I was all fired up about um, I forget the author's name now, but the, the title of the book is uh, Cosmic Consciousness. And I had found it at this um, it was like this new age bookstore in um, in Georgetown that actually Dr. Carlson had mentioned in class. It was like his his favorite bookstore, and of course I had never heard of it before. So I, yeah, more or less jumped in my car and drove down there, <laughs> and it was um, you know it was just filled with all kinds of like really interesting things and like lots of like sort of new age music and all you know this was like back in the 80s with like lots of cassettes and oh, yeah. things like that and uh and and i found this um cosmic consciousness book there which i had started reading and it was essentially accounts of different people who have had these experiences and they've like made like contact with something that was like beyond them but a part of them at the same time and so I was really excited and telling him about it. And he was just, he was, you know, he was very kind. He was just sort of sitting there listening. And, uh, and he said, you know, this is all good, but you really need to just sit in meditation and do this for yourself. And, uh, and it took years of grappling with mm -hmm. that to, to actually do that. And it's still sometimes, it's, a, it's like I have to make, time for meditation in a way that I never have to make time for for like reading and writing mm. and, and, it, and it's it, reading and writing can be tricky sometimes because I have to do a lot of reading and writing for work yeah so um, so I can sometimes I can sort of rationalize you know I, I need to do this for work you know where <laughs> um, although now since I have a, a yoga and meditation class you know now I can start to make that rationalization sure. on the other side but uh you know so it's all it's always been it's always been a struggle to to like make time for this because it's almost like it's a because the the reading and the writing is one approach to this kind of engagement i guess and and in certain respects meditation is like the the real approach yeah um and just just because uh, just because I, I guess I've been bookish my entire life, it's uh, sometimes the taking the real approach um, is something that I really have to be um, intentional about. Yeah. Um, but there's, mm, I would say probably in the last um, the last few years where I. I've become much more sort of intentional and, and serious about about doing this. Um, um, I've with meditation. I've never had any um, like any like like far out experiences and 
things like that. I've I've had a couple of those with um, with uh, like yoga or like during shavasana. But with with meditation, now it's just uh, for whatever reason. I like a couple of weeks ago. I just I just had the image of it's like uh, you know it's like like when you uh, like plug in your phone to a charger. It's like that. I sort of felt like I was like plugging mm. into something. And it was very, it was very quiet. Um, it wasn't like there was like a plug in, and then you know it was like psychedelic or yeah, anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but it was just this very, um, very sort of grounding feeling, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know even like even. Sometimes even monkey mind now, this yeah. kind of, um, it's kind of, it sort of like puts in an appearance, almost like, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, we have to do this, and, and but then it just kind of like fades away, yeah. and, and it's just a, it's a very grounding experience now, and, and actually, um, in the last couple of years, um, um, I find myself really looking forward to those times when I yeah. do that. Yeah. I found it to be very settling when the mind is going all over the place with to-do lists mm-hmm. or things to get done. Yeah. Or even the busyness of the day. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it seems counterintuitive to when you have a lot to do yeah. to stop what you're doing mm-hmm. and not do anything for a little while. Yeah. But then when, when you do that, mm-hmm. you then actually, I feel, settled enough to do what I need to do yeah. at a pace that's healthier for me and I found one image that I read once about meditation it's kind of especially when you have a lot of thoughts is this idea of a river mm-hmm. and a bunch of barges on the river and yeah. when a thought comes just put that thought on the barge let it go downstream mm-hmm. and just send you know go back to your focus or your center and mm-hmm. um, and that's been a really helpful image for me mm-hmm. to kind of get that grounding yeah. feeling yeah, like a lot of a lot of time, like when I when I'm leading sangha or something where I'm talking about meditation, the a lot of it is it's it's a way to take a break from doing something, but it it isn't um, it doesn't like like take you away the way that um, like if you're like you're busy like studying for like a couple of hours. And then you just spend like forty-five minutes, kind of like clicking links, mm. you know, yep. like following stuff like on Wikipedia or something like that. Um, at least for for me, then it takes time. Like you know, first off, it, it, sometimes it can be hard to like stop. You know, like once you start like yeah. clicking on that, and then um, and then you sort of almost have to get back in the frame of mind to 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 do any kind of concentrated thinking yeah. or work or anything. But if, um, but it doesn't, um, that doesn't really happen if, if I just, um, you know, do like a breath awareness meditation mm-hmm. for like 15 or 20 mm-hmm. minutes. And, uh, and then I come back and it's, it's almost like, it's like I've taken, um, I've taken a break in the sense that my mind hasn't been doing what I've, been asking it to do for the past two hours 
but at the same time, it's like I, I've never really left what I was doing, you know, mm. so I could like, come back to it if I wanted to, yeah. without having to like almost like get ready all over again, you know. Yeah. Like if I if I just kind of like turned my brain off. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just recently I have this quote that I read not too long ago by Thomas Merton. Uh huh. Right. So he, especially kind of in his later years, spent a lot of time kind of making a bridge between. Catholicism mm. and Buddhism. But he says that meditation helps us get free from habitual hardness of heart, mm-hmm. the grossness of the mind, which I just think is an interesting phrase, mm-hmm. resistance to doing the divine's will, and that it develops patience, awareness, and love. Do you sense that in kind of your practice? I think so. Although sometimes I go through, sometimes I think, you know, I'm like I, I have a. Um, I have like more like compassion and patience um, like with others, but then I go through phases where I think to myself, um, I actually feel like I have a lot less patience. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I wonder, you know, so is is this like? Um, and I try to avoid like thinking of thinking of what I do as like a like a progression you know there's there's it's more like a passage mm. rather than a progression so you know so i don't know you know i don't so i don't necessarily think of it in terms of like i'm uh like improving or getting better or anything like that it's just um i'm sort of like more or less serious with the passage and at least the past few years i've um i've tried to be very serious with the passage uh, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes I feel like uh, almost like uh, in a weird way, it's like uh, like bigger hearted in a way. Mm. Um, and then other times, just you know, I just want to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, uh, and I don't. Um, in, in this, I, um, um, you know, like you mentioned Thomas Merton a few moments ago. Um, one of the most influential things for me in graduate school was um, I was um, like more or less in the first three or four years of my doctoral program was when his um, journals were published. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so the first one was published in 1997, and I remember... And it was a book that um, I would I read it mostly um, when I was um, like riding the subway or the train back and forth from my house to school, and because it was like you could just dip into it, and then you know when you got to your stop, close it, and and then you know and even if you dipped in somewhere else, like you know if you reread something, it was still you know you know it was still fine. And I just like slowly made my way through his journals, and then I think, um, I think two thousand maybe two thousand one, the last one was published, and um, and after that, I, um, you know, I, I like I've kept a I've kept a journal since. Um, let's see, I was probably twenty three, maybe wow. twenty two or twenty three. And uh, and after uh, after reading his journals, I 
I sort of sort of changed the way that I I kept a, a journal. Cool. Um, and uh, and then now it's like this whole like production because I like I um, travel with students with study abroad, so I have these like little notebooks that I can put in my pocket that I that I uh, that I write in, and it has something to do with like being away and now I start writing in them before I go and I keep mm. writing in them after I get back because the, those, um, uh, like those experiences, um, like they, they, I guess they really stick with me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so there's like the, there's like the, the reading and writing that for me are, are, are genuinely contemplative practices. Yeah. Um, but I do have to guard against reading in particular, sort of being like a, almost like a, like a plant that just crowds everything else mm. out. So I have to be very careful to not, not get too gung-ho about that. And then, yeah. and then there's, um, the meditation and then like over the last maybe three or four years, like yoga has been added to the meditation yep. mix. Yeah, share a little bit about that because you just recently became certified as yeah. a yoga instructor. Yeah, uh, and that was I. Um, I did the teacher training not so much because I wanted to to be a yoga teacher, but um, I really wanted to learn more about um, just I just wanted to learn more about yoga and um, and I knew myself that um, you know I would. I would order books like crazy from Amazon and, yeah. and I would just sort of have, I would read eclectically and, and I thought that if I did the teacher training, I would, it would be a different kind of learning. Yeah. And, uh, um, and, and it was, um, one of the, and one of the things that I was, that was, um, kind of nice in a way was, um, I realized that I, I had, you know, I had some sort of romanticized notions about like what yoga is. And, mm. you know, a lot of, a lot of yoga is fairly, you know, it was created in the late 19th and early 20th century. And, um, and it claims to have a, like an ancient lineage and certain elements of it does, but other, other parts of it, essentially they come out of, um, the, the calisthenics, um, movement that began in the in the 19th century and what gave rise to the YMCA and, and mm -hmm. things like that um, so um, and so and so a lot of that was you know like yoga was like different after learning yeah learning that um, so it, it sort of reminded me of I had a friend in um, in graduate school who was um, who was in the uh, the Church of the Nazarene tradition okay. and uh, and I just remember him telling me one time that we um, we all had to take um, courses in the Old and New Testament. And when he took his course in the New Testament, it was, you know, it was strict um, historical critical approach to sure. the New Testament. And uh, and he said that after that after that class, and he loved that class, but he wasn't able to read the Bible devotionally for three years. Huh. And uh, and he said, but he finally was able to get back to it, uh, and his and his devotional reading was enriched by his historical critical study sure. of it. Sure. And so I remember thinking after, 
um, like after finishing yoga teacher training, and it was like it was just a completely different experience doing yoga. I was like, oh, maybe this is like my, you know, I'm like unable to practice yoga devotionally. <laughs> yeah. Just because now that, you know, now that I know something of its history and, um, and how it, you know, how it arose, and especially like Western postural yoga that focuses almost exclusively on the poses and yeah. not the other elements. Yeah. Um, but it was, but on the whole, it was a, it was a great experience and, um, and it was, uh, I really enjoyed learning as part of a part of a community of learners, mm-hmm. as opposed to my sort of preferred, you know, sort of solitary reading and writing. So yeah. in, in that, and, and of course, I, I still, you know, I have a bunch of books that I'm reading about it. So it's not like I just turn my back on that altogether. But yeah. I, it's like it's nice to have that other other side of it. Yeah. And just have those um, have those connections. Like we're a really we're a really good group, and we we get together probably every couple of months or so. And, um, it's just a nice group to be um, connected to. Yeah, it's like eight or ten of us. I guess that's cool. Yeah. And you mentioned before, even before we started recording, that yoga is a way to. It's like an interfaith practice, mm-hmm. and it brings people together, yeah. regardless of. Usually, regardless of. Mm-hmm. your religious experience but it's a way to do something a do a practice together uh-huh. that many people find beneficial for their health or mindfulness or mm-hmm. their own spirituality yeah regardless of your differences yeah no i think and i think that a, a lot of a lot of the things that people like about yoga they may not use the word spiritual experience but i think for a lot of people that's you know, sometimes I'll use the word mindfulness. And yeah. Sometimes I think mindfulness is just simply a uh, like a non-threatening way to talk about spiritual experience. Because you know, even for people that are spiritual but not religious, is mm-hmm. spirituality is still you know, even if it's been detached from religion, it's you can still see religion. <laughs> yeah. Um, where mindfulness, uh, you know, mindfulness just seems like a good like a non-threatening secular term yeah you know and, and there's a lot of times when we're mindless yeah like mindlessly scrolling and yeah it's yeah not as fulfilling yeah as being mindful mm-hmm. yeah so um but yeah it's it's um and because i think it's um it's definitely a sort of a spiritual Almost like the question I was driving home last night, and I realized the question that I would have liked to have asked Walker is, mm-hmm. um, um, can we speak about um, like a humanist spirituality? Mm-hmm. And and if we can, if that's not like a contradictory idea, if we can, like what exactly does it look like? Because I, mean, I remember he talked a little bit about how um, you know, like like storytelling is one of the practices. Yeah. Just the, just the act of getting together as a group, which you know, like in my yoga teacher training, essentially that was one of yep. our practices, just the being together, um, and uh, and I'm sure that there are others, and and you know, so in, in certain respects, a yoga practice is like that because it's you're with other people, and. Uh, and but at the same and in, 
on the one hand, everyone is doing the same thing. But on the other hand, everyone is doing their own thing. Because mm. they're, like, each person has their own edge, yeah. you know. So some people are extraordinarily flexible and they can they can do all kinds of things with their body and other people are just they're not as flexible and so and one of the things i like about yoga is that it you can um you can really make all of these adjustments and 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 then when you bring props into the question you can even make more adjustments Mm -hmm. and so you can have someone um you know, someone who is in, you know, not in their not so good physical health, they can they can engage in practice alongside someone who's like in the prime of their health. Right. And uh, you know, and they to the to the naked eye, so to speak, they may look like they're not really doing the same thing, but they're both uh, reaching their edge. Yeah. And in that respect, they're both doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love so, that illustration. Uh, that is really cool. I, I find that, too, with meditation. There's something mm-hmm. great about doing it by yourself. Mm-hmm. But there's something even more powerful doing it with a group of other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, one of the first times and I was a part of this cohort, and there were about 60 or 70 of us. Uh-huh. And we all got up early one morning and went into this little chapel space mm-hmm. and spent 20 minutes mm-hmm. together in silence. Yeah. And we were all sitting there doing our own thing. Yeah. But there was something very kind of, I guess you could even say it was there's something sacred mm-hmm. that we were all doing it together. Mm-hmm. Like there was a communal mm-hmm. aspect, even though we were doing our individual thing. And I find that similar with yoga. I mean, uh-huh. you could do it alone in your room or you could practice it with a group of others. And then mm-hmm. it has a different feel, even though you're doing your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely like practicing yoga with, with other people. Yeah. Um, um, a lot of times it, I'll do yoga sometimes on my own at home, but then a lot of times I'm thinking, eh, well, why am I doing this when I could just be sitting in meditation? <laughs> yeah. Um, because for me, at least yoga sort of leads to meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so sometimes if I'm at, if I'm at home, like doing, doing these things, I'm, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, eh, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't need to do this, yeah. but I also realize that you know I I have this constant voice that is very seems seems very knowledgeable about what I should be doing and what I should not be doing, um, and it's taken a long time. But actually now I realize that uh, I'm not exactly sure where that voice is coming from. But it <laughs> it doesn't know as much as it seems like it knows. Yeah. It's, it's a very confident sounding voice, but it actually doesn't know. You know, so when it's saying you know you, you don't need to do this. Um, yoga you can just do meditation it's just basically the same voice that says well you don't need to do this meditation you should you should read <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh i think you make a great point about the importance of practicing some mm-hmm. of these things versus uh-huh. talking about them or yeah. reading books about them mm-hmm. but are there resources or books that you recommend for people who want to start learning more about meditation or even yoga i mean you mentioned a couple of them are there other resources or websites even or that you would recommend? Uh, well, as far as as far as books go, um, I know books that that have meant a lot to me. They they generally fall into this category of they um, they have um, 
they 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 offer um, food for thought, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and there it's a it's a very eclectic group of of books. Um, so, um, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius oh, would yeah. be one. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was an undergraduate, I read The Way of a Pilgrim. Oh and yeah, I loved that, and I've I'll, I found out about that book because in this class with Dr. Carlson, we read the J.D. Salinger story uh, Zoe. Yeah, and uh, and Zoe was reading the way, the way of the, of the pilgrim. pilgrim, right, right. And so that's that's why I found out about that. Um, um, and then there's a number of of books of sort of talks that. Um, Swami Satchidananda mm-hmm. from Yogaville has given, and um, and there's there's those talks are nice. There's one called um, a collection called "To Know Yourself," and they're relatively short um, talks. And you can usually you read them, and then they just kind of like sit on your mind, and you might find yourself thinking about them later. And and they're really good for for um, for thinking about things and they're and they're sort of a nice uh, a nice complement to to like silent practices like like meditation or yoga um, yeah you know because it's not uh, they're not like heavy philosophical works where you know which I think and that's a different kind of practice where you're like deeply engaged in concentration and making sense of you know like Plato or someone like that um, but at the same time, it's, um, it's, it's like a kind of wisdom literature almost. Mm-hmm. And you can just, you can, you can just read it and then it's there and you can think about it if you want to. And sometimes it'll kind of get into your, into your subconscious and you're thinking about it without realizing it. And, um, and then I find out a lot that these these things will sort of pop up later when I'm writing in my sure. journal. Yeah. You know? So, um, so I think, um, you know, so it, and, and you can just go crazy, like reading to learn about these, these things. But I think reading as a practice, like those, mm. those kinds of, um, those kinds of books are, are, are a really nice compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Steve. Oh, sure. Nick. Thanks this for spending is, time yeah. chatting about, all things meditation yeah. and yoga. Yeah, I appreciate I've it. really enjoyed this. Good. So, yeah, thanks for asking me. Absolutely. And so, friends, as you continue to experience meditation and practice the contemplative, may you have peace, may you have calm, may you have happiness. <laughs>